Scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. And in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. So, a little humor there, but uh, it's kind of a humorous way for us to consider uh, our, at times, obsession, even in in a a current context, on uh, power and authority, title, and even respect. Uh, And and so, I happen to think of the assistant to the regional manager versus assistant regional manager, and uh, I felt it worth kind of having some fun with that. we're going to look at the passage today, which is kind of the tail end of Jesus' teaching in Jerusalem, and he's really, really kind of hammered on the religious leaders, um, and he and he was hammering on the the power structure and the authority structure, um, and and really even a structure of respect that they that they understood and and was part of life for them. And what I recognize as I was preparing this, and even in in recent weeks as we've gone through the text the, earlier in chapter twelve. I realize that that same struggle and power structure, so to speak, is a struggle I have. And so when we look at this passage as a whole, and we'll, we'll look at it a little bit closer, but I've recognized that if you look at the, the scribes, the religious leaders in the first part of this text this morning, and then you also look at the widow that Jesus talks about at the tail end of this passage, I realize who do I identify with more 
It's the religious leaders. It's these scribes that Jesus has, has really been just hammering on. I recognize that that's really me. It's really me. And so the, the struggle is, is internal, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, it, it's an internal struggle that plays out in an outward way. And so it's, it's easy, I know, for me as I, as I read and hear Scripture taught, it's easy for me to, to think, man, they were a mess, weren't they? Really were some messed up people. These religious leaders. And I recognize, it's me. It's me. I, I have those same struggles. And so when Jesus is, is pinpointing some of the struggles that they had, I believe He's talking to me as well. And so perhaps He's talking to you in, in this in some context. Um, so as I said, he's, he's had this this moment or moments of confrontation. He's had these crucial conversations with the religious leaders to say, um, there's some things that, that you need to, to address and consider, and, and they push back on Him. Well, at this point, He's... He's likely talking to his disciples in earshot of these religious leaders and others, and and um, he really talks about um, just being being aware and and making sure you recognize some of this struggle and some of the issue, um, and perhaps in their own heart. He says in verse thirty eight. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. So they, they had these long robes that was, that, that were, you know, to the ankles and there, there were all these fancy tassels and, and this was the look of religious authority at the time. Which isn't wrong in and of itself. Jesus isn't saying it, it's wrong to have these robes on, but the way they walked around in them and, and he, Jesus recognized the heart of the matter of why did they have these robes on all the time. Um, and then he says, and like greetings in the marketplaces, these, these titles of, of, of the highest respect for a religious leader, religious authority, they, they expected these titles, to, they demanded these titles, so they, they had this appearance, and they had um, people respecting them to the utmost to say, this is how you are to treat me. And I don't want anything less. And Jesus is pinpointing that and, and really saying, you know, be careful of that. He he probably had two two angles to to him saying beware. One might be beware of of really the motive behind these religious leaders. You know, what is their heart motive? But he also is probably pinpointing the disciples and those in earshot of him and saying, beware of that creeping up in your own life. Verse 39, he says, and they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor and feasts. So at a, at a feast in particular, the place of honor would be up front in chairs facing outward to the left and the right of the host of that feast. Um, so if you're a sports fan, Particularly football, sometimes you see it in basketball and some other sports, but in particular you'll, you'll notice that the TV coverage often will, will pan to a shot of the owner of the team, you know, the host team. And typically in the owner's box, you'll see either a, a former player from that team or sometimes you'll see a celebrity. You will see people sitting to the left or the right of the host of that game the owner of that team. 
And so you see in even our own culture, you see instances of if somebody is honored, they're going to be almost physically and, and often physically in a place of honor. And so these religious leaders were put in that place of honor and the assumption was, you better honor me to that extent. So Becky and I did a little bit of Googling and um, we came up with a, a long list. I'll share just a few in our current context. And this is com- coming from the world of entertainment. They uh, Entertainers will have this thing called a contract rider. And with their contract and they do an event, there are certain things that they are demanding in their contract. It's written in the contract to say, if I'm going to come do this event, this concert, for example, if I'm going to come do this, here are the things that you must provide for me. So there's some crazy things. And I'm going to list just a couple. This, this one person or band said, I want M&M's, but I don't want brown M&M's. Not a single brown one should be in my dressing room. Another person said, um, I want white curtains to cover up any exposed brick in my dressing room. If there's a brick wall, it better be covered by a white curtain. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just telling you what's there. Um, one person said, I want six vases of white tulips, but no foliage. Make sure it's just the tulips itself. One person said, I, I, I want a brand new toilet seat installed. Brand new, alright. Um, one said, I, I want one boa constrictor not to be less than 15 feet long. That's my demand. These are contractual demands or what they call riders. Now, let me just pause real quick, put a parenthesis on this. It's, it's not all bad. I mean, just because you're popular today in pop culture and entertainer and all that, um, there can, there really are good people. It, just two quick examples of that. Um, one band, this is back in the 60s, refused, this is contractually refused to play in front of any segregated audience. So obviously a rider is not all that. Um, one more recently, a, a pop singer said, um, I want six pizzas in my dressing room ready to be delivered to the homeless in the area. So it's not that I'm painting a picture of people of, of power and authority and prestige and, and, and popularity are, are all, all bad, always bad. But the point is, we tend to demand, the more we have respect or desire respect, we tend to demand more and more of it. And respect in itself is not wrong, especially inherently coming from God. We all have value. But when we, when we go after the respect and the power and the authority that's not rightly ours, then at that point, we stop serving. And we think of ourselves much different than we are. Much, much different than, than God intends for us to think of ourselves. So we all enjoy that kind of treatment, um, but it really can get out of control. So the disciples, several in several occasions, fell victim to really the same kind of thing. If you remember, they've, they've had some arguments prior to this even to say, hey, who's the greatest, Jesus? Which one among us is going to be considered the greatest? And Jesus said, listen, the great one among you is different than what you might think. It's not necessarily the place of honor at a feast, 
It's the one who serves. So he kind of flips it on them. And, you know, so they, they've been tempted in the same way. So again, when Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders or speaking about them, it's not just about them and to say, look at those horrible people. He's saying, you are going to fall into that. Beware of that. Verse 40, he says, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their, their greater condemnation. So devour widows' houses, it's figure of speech. Because the religious leaders, um, really in a practical way, they, they relied on, on uh, the, the, the tithes and the offerings that, that came in to, to live. So it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but the problem is they started to manipulate people for their own gain. And in particular, they manipulated widows who in that context were the most vulnerable and particularly financially. And so they would manipulate, and a lot of times these prayers would be offered in a very grand way to say, um, you know, look at me and how wonderful I am. Shouldn't you give to me? And so the widows were being manipulated, at least by some of these religious leaders. And so that figure of speech that they were devouring the widows' houses. Their, their livelihood, their, their, their ability to, uh, to live well. So they were really abusing power, and power, power is really influence. And if you have influence over someone or a group of people, you also have responsibility that comes with that. Power is influence, and, and therefore you have responsibility. And we'll unpack that a little bit later. They were, Jesus said they were, they were condemned at a greater level because in the name of piety, in the name of, of religiosity, they were manipulating. They were abusing. And, and I, I believe strongly that Jesus is saying, you know what, you as, as, as my follower, as a disciple, you've got to live differently than that. So let me point that out to you and, and show you the reality of this, this power abuse. In verse um, <clears throat> Luke 11, 11, 39, Jesus says to the Pharisees at the time, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and, uh, and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. See, Jesus is speaking directly to the interiority, the, the, the inward character of a person, the heart of a person. He's saying, you know, outwardly you obey and follow all these sets of rules and laws, but internally you're a mess. And that's, that's what I'm after. See, it was a heart issue for these religious leaders. And often, for me, it's a heart issue. God's kingdom can be defined where God rules. And if He's not ruling the, the inside of me, it's a heart issue. And that's, that's one of the main things Jesus is pointing out. So, so think about this for a second. It might be individually and it might be collectively. I just want you to, to ponder this. What do we do today that takes advantage or ignores the needs of others? While we believe that we're better, 
that we're a disciple and we're or a Christian, we're a follower of Jesus, we're a churchgoer. Um, we're, we're doing well and we're, we're better than X person, we're better than Y person, we're better than this group, we're better than that group. But are we ignoring the needs of others? Are we taking our power, our influence, our abilities and not being responsible with it? Something to consider. So, verse 41, Jesus turns to, um, to, to the treasury. So he kind of goes in, he says, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. So, Forrest, if you could show that, that temple picture. So this is just a quick diagram of the temple. And I know it's a little small. You're not going to, a lot of you won't be able to see the writing. That's okay. But if you see number four, it's on the left side there, and I believe it extends around. That's, that's the outside um, known as the court of the Gentiles. And that's where Jesus had been doing most of his, his teaching and, and spending a lot of that time when we talk about being at the temple in these last couple chapters. But now he transitions into 14, which is if you, if you go in that, that bottom gate there, I can't see the number, maybe 10, um, you go in there, that's called the court of women. So at that point, to be inside there, you, you had to be, you had to be a Jewish. Women could go, Jewish women could go that far. So it was called the court of women. Uh, now men could go further into that next gate, um, Jewish men, but the Gentiles had to stay outside. He, he's transitioned in to that, that first inner area called the court of women. And he transitions in there and he kind of sits down. He sits down and says, you know, I'm going to observe. And in that area are 13 uh, really trumpet-shaped offering boxes, basically. So we've got that one hung on the wall back there. Imagine there were 13 around the room. And he's observing, and he's, and he's kind of sitting and you know, perhaps looking at a few of them and says, what am I going to see? What am I going to see as I observe? And he notices that there's large sums of money being dropped in from a lot of people. But then in verse 42, he says, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Now, this was the smallest, the coin that she dropped, she dropped two of them, but the coin that she dropped was the smallest in circulation at that time. And two of them equated to about one uh, denarius, which was, uh, which actually was about one sixty-fourth of a denarius, which is about one day's wage. So what she dropped in was not a whole lot. It was quite insignificant. And in fact, I've got, I had to borrow from my son this morning, um, I've got a nice penny of ours, which is, you know, one cent in our context. Do you realize that there's conversation about getting rid of the penny? Because people recognize the insignificance of it right now. Um, in fact, in 2015, it cost 1.4 cents to make one cent. To make, physically make one of these. 
So there, there's some conversation, some debate back and forth of whether we should just get rid of it. It would change our prices from, you know, instead of three ninety nine, it would be either four dollars or three ninety five, I guess. Um, it's not quite a, a a Bitcoin kind of scenario if you're familiar with those that were talked about recently. But um, the insignificance of what she dropped in, Jesus is pointing out that it's not about what she dropped in. He says in verse 43 and 44, He calls His disciples to Him. And at this point, He's speaking specifically to His disciples. And He says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. So Jesus uses this with His disciples as, as really a teachable moment to them. And He said, you know, the, the insignificance of what she gave is, is not the issue. In fact, there's quite a, a lot of significance to what she gave because she gave out of just about all that she had. And He said, you know, attitude is greater than the action of her. So if you compare what she gave to, you know, to what the, the others that had much more than her, it, it wasn't much of a comparison. But again, just like with the religious leaders, he was pointing out it was a heart issue for her. It was a heart issue. And, and we talked earlier about God's kingdom can be defined as where He rules in somebody's heart. We see a glimpse of this particular widow. God was ruling in her heart to the point where she says, you know, I, this is pretty much all I have, but I, I'm trusting my God that He'll provide for me. This is my offering to Him. And so Jesus points that out. He, he's teaching His disciples at this point the value and wholehearted commitment. Because honestly, they have struggled with that. In fact, they're going to struggle with that if we, if we were to fast forward to chapter 14, Jesus says to His disciples, you know, you're, you're all going to kind of turn your back on Me. And Peter quickly jumps in and says, well, Lord, I'm not. And Jesus said, well, yeah, actually, you are <laughs> quite soon. So Jesus is, is about to challenge them further with the idea of wholehearted commitment, trusting Him, commitment to, to following Him, it, it also probably illustrates Jesus' self-giving to the point of death on the cross. So it's probably a slight foreshadow of that. But He's talking to His disciples about commitment and He uses this widow and He looks at an action of hers, but He recognizes it's coming out of a particular heart attitude of commitment and trust. So here's, here's a couple of thoughts I have. One is that, is this a warning against not just a lack of commitment, but, but our pride? You look at the scribes, the religious leaders, and it was about power and prestige. And the rich, it was about, you know, what they had. And they're gonna boast in that. Both of, of these sets of folks have trusted in a temporal system. A temporal power structure, an authority structure. Uh, temporal possessions of what they have. They've trusted in that. And, and Jesus points that out. But we, we know that 
and Jesus said in verse 43 and 44, it's not really about the, the portion of what you give because you have. It's about the proportion of what you're giving, which displays the hard attitude. If you can show that next picture for us. Um, I, I saw this recently talking about it. <clears throat> no one's ever become poor by giving. I suggest it's not just giving of coins, giving of uh, something material. But if, if it's a hard issue of us following Christ and trusting Him, we're going to give a whole lot more than that. So, my, here's kind of a rhetorical question for you. Is this a warning to those who lead, have wealth of any kind? Is this an instruction on stewardship of power, justice, and wealth? And those are grand concepts, but they're also concepts that, that we engage with every day. There's power structures and authority structures that we engage in our context every day, and there's justice or a lack of that we see around us and may be engaging with every day as well. So it's collective for, for the church, disciples of Christ, but it's also for the individual for us to be challenged to say, is this a warning to us? of what, we're, what our commitment level is. What are we giving to or not? So I think the, the overarching thought I had on this passage was it, it's kind of a, a difference between self-living and kingdom living. That's about the kingdom where, where, where God's ruling in, in one's heart. It's self-living versus kingdom living. So kingdom living... If you remember back earlier in chapter 12, where Jesus said, you know, the, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Those are the two greatest commandments. So I, I think that is a nice summation of what does it look like for kingdom living. But I also suggest one more term for us to consider in closing. I think stewardship. As God gives us and it could be material possessions, as God gives us, and I think every one of us in this room has a tremendous amount of you name it. We are in a privileged context. We really are. And so as God has given, what does He require? Remember earlier we talked about the, the power structure, the power and the authority that, that the religious leaders were given in that context? They were abusing it. But it really, power is influence and influence is responsibility. So think of stewardship and responsibility. What are we responsible to do with what God's given us? And the widow displayed that. She gave everything she had. So here are a couple, let me list off some, some broad um, kind of categories to this. And think of, for you, what are you responsible for? How do you steward what you've been given in these particular categories? So let me list these off, and, and I want you to just kind of consider these. Consider these as we, as we think through them, because it's going to be different for everyone in here. Wealth. Statistically, everyone in this room is top 1% in the world. So what are we doing with our wealth? Remember, it's a heart issue. Our time. We're in a busy culture. 
but the same hands, we're, we're in a culture and living in an historic time, historic moment in history that, that time is probably, we have, we probably have the most that we've ever had. What are we doing with that time? Spiritual gifts. As a believer in Christ, we've been given certain gifts of the Spirit and we must steward them. God's given those for influence in His church. Skills and talents. Could be creative talents. It could be skills in, in, in a, maybe in a vocational context or, or hobby or otherwise. Um, experiences that we've been given. Because we have a lot and because we have opportunity, we all have experienced a tremendous amount that most of the world, they can't. Leadership. And I'll throw influence and power in there as we talked about that earlier. But if we're in a position of influence with others, how are we stewarding that? What is our responsibility? Because we saw the religious leaders fail miserably, and Jesus pointed that out. We saw the disciples fail in that. Family. Friends. Relationships in general. How are we stewarding that? What is our responsibility before God? It's a heart issue. For all of these things, it's a hard issue. And that's what Jesus was getting at. Self-living versus kingdom living. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank You that You've given Your Word, and in particular this passage, that, that we can recognize, as You pointed out, the struggle, the internal struggle of these leaders at the time. Lord, we can recognize that, that I know I do and, and, and perhaps others in this room struggle in similar ways. And the struggle might be inside of us and it might be manifesting into outward action. Um, Lord, would You empower us to change our heart, to change our attitude, to change our action? So Lord, as we as we consider all that You've blessed us with, that we would not take advantage, but that we would commit to You, we would follow You well, that we would give of ourselves and give all that You give have given to us. Lord, thank You for this widow. Thank You for her simple act that displayed the heart of a disciple. Lord, we need You. We're thankful that because of Your exemplary life and because of the power of the cross and the resurrection, that we can be changed. That our hearts and our minds can be transformed. So Lord, we pray for that. We pray that we would stop self-living and we would display a kingdom-living life that we would bring honor to You in that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.